Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists, where each month MCW brings you the science behind the health topics that you're hearing about in the news. This series is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, the state's largest health philanthropy that works to improve health, advance health equity in Wisconsin. I'm Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, Director of the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I'll be your host today. I am so thrilled to be here to talk with Dr. Christina Runge, who is a professor in the Ear, Nose, and Throat Department at the Medical College of Wisconsin. She's also the director of the COS Cochlear Implant Program, and she's gonna talk about the signs behind hearing loss. Now, Dr. Runge joined the Ear, Nose, and Throat Department at NCW back in 2002, and has directed the COS Cochlear Implant Program, which is a collaboration between MCW, Frederick Hospital, and Children's Wisconsin since 2005. She uh, received her doctorate from the University of Iowa, where she focused on the auditory neurophysiologics responses and has received extensive training in hearing disorders and cochlear implants, both in adults and children. Her research interests include hearing devices such as cochlear implants, hearing aids, and the genetics of hearing loss, as well as drug therapies for hearing restoration. Chris, welcome to Coffee Conversations. Thanks, Jess. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is going to be great. So today we're going to chat about the science behind hearing loss and what are the most common types of hearing loss and what you can do if you or someone you love is experiencing symptoms of hearing loss. So for everybody watching us today, go ahead and drop any questions that you have on the topic into the comments. We will get to as many of those questions um, as we can. So let's go ahead and dive right in. First of all, Chris, hearing loss is a, is a very broad topic. What's the definition of hearing loss? That is such a great question and, and it is broad and it also is hearing loss is a very common disability and uh, worldwide. And so I think we might even have a slide for, for people to see that um, with some data on there. Um, the uh, it's four, 466 million people have some level of disabling hearing loss worldwide currently. And that's estimated to increase to over 900 million by 2025. So even the next few years. So, and, and one of the um, big issues with that is that people have hearing loss, but fewer than 20% of adults with some hearing loss actually use amplification or, or are able to address that or addressing that right now. So, and untreated hearing loss can lead to not only do you have difficulty communicating and the hearing loss itself, but it also can be very isolating. Um, it can lead to depression and um, it's actually been linked also with some other health issues such as dementia and even risk of falling in older adults. So it's something we really want to address. It's a very uh, serious uh, health issue. And so really excited to be able to get the word out today too to our community and about reaching out and getting help um, if you notice any kind of hearing loss. So I think you did ask me if I may continue, like what is my definition of hearing loss? Um, and so, like you said, it, it's a very broad topic and, and I'll break it into a couple is one, you can be born with hearing loss or you can develop it over time, maybe um, in childhood or most like toward adulthood. So I'll focus mostly on the, the type that develops over time that might sort of creep up on people and you're not really noticing it at first. But my definition of hearing loss is if you, if you notice that you're having difficulty hearing in some daily listening situations that maybe you hadn't before. So, you know, a little more trouble in background noise or you can hear people, but you can't quite understand them. That might be indications that you have some hearing loss compared to, compared to what you, if you had normal hearing before. 
Thanks for that. So um, profound implications for people who have hearing loss on, on them, on their families, on safety, economics, lots of things wrapped up there. But what's the most common type of hearing loss, Chris? Um, for the population we're talking about, if, it, if it's sort of gradual onset as, as, as you get older, the most common type of hearing loss we would see in adults, we refer to as sensory neural hearing loss. And what that refers to is um, there are little uh, cells uh, in the inner ear. Um, there are some cells called hair cells because they have little hair bundles on the top that move back and forth. Um, and so sometimes there's damage to those. There's wear and tear um, or other things that might damage them, some chemicals, some noise exposure, things like that. Um, and that's the sensory part that we discuss, that we talk about. And then those connect with the hearing nerve um, that actually sends the, the signal to the brain. So we, that's how we encode sound and, uh, and, and understand speech and sounds. Um, and so if sensory neural hearing loss indicates that there's some, something going on uh, with, there's something uh, wrong with the cells and or the hearing nerve itself. Got it. And, and just, uh, it's, you're talking about the inside part of the ear, there's the outside part of the ear, but I think a lot of people don't remember that much of what's going on uh, between you know, sound hitting the, the body and then turning into a signal is actually uh, something that you can't see. Is, is that, is that kind of right, Chris? That's correct. Yeah. So, so yeah, we see, we have our ears and we think, okay, well, we'll pierce it. Sometimes kids have ear infections. There's, you know, it might be itchy. You have wax in there, but once you get inside, actually in the, in the head, there's so much going on there and it's fascinating. So the inner ear that I talked about is actually a, a, a snail shaped structure that's encased in bone and it has fluid uh, system in there. It has the cells and you're exactly right. Jess, the sound is actually, you know, like sound waves propagating through the air. And so they're kind of pushing air molecules. They push on the structures of the ear and the eardrum and the bones. And then that causes vibrations of those cells I talked about in the cochlea in the inner ear and those vibrate, um, from those, from those sound waves, they kind of mimic what the sound waves are and they create this signal that then we interpret as sound. Uh, that's a really great description. Very helpful. Let me ask you another question. Is hearing loss genetic? It can be. Yes. Um, so there are, we're learning more and more about the genetic causes of hearing loss because there's so, as you said, these are, it's ripped from the headlines, right? You're hearing a lot about the genetic uh, discoveries that we have. And um, so some hearing, some genetic hearing loss actually um, uh, would create the type of hearing loss that is present at birth. Um, and so we, we identify that with newborn hearing screening. And so we can identify children who are born with hearing loss. Then, um, some others are, can predispose people to developing hearing loss later in life, either through childhood or, um, predispose people to, um, have, uh, react reactions with certain medications and things like that, that would end up causing hearing loss or even age related hearing loss. And so, yeah. And like you said, we're, we're learning more and more every day. We actually did discover um, a new gene uh, uh, that causes hearing loss in a family in Wisconsin uh, through the research in, in my lab and with my collaborators. Um, it was really, we had a, a patient in our in the ENT clinic who had hearing loss and was getting treatment and had some family members. And we talked to them like, hey, would you like to do some research together to see if we can figure out what this is? And it was really wonderful partnership with, with uh, this family, um, again, uh, in Wisconsin and got to know them really well. And, and they were so wonderful about sharing information and, and uh, allowing us to do this research that we discovered this new, new gene that causes hearing loss. And we test for that now at MCW as well.
That's really amazing. I, I, I know you've taken care of thousands of patients and really helped a lot of families around hearing loss. I didn't know you'd also discovered a hearing loss gene. That's, that's really, really amazing that, it, that, that you've done it and it happened here, here at MCW. Um, let me ask you, so if somebody, uh, what should they do if, if they or a member of their family is experiencing hearing loss? What's the first step? If someone notices they're having hearing loss, um, or another way to notice if you're having hearing loss is if a significant other or someone else is telling you that they think you have hearing loss, then um, then uh, then what I would recommend the first thing to do is find a hearing professional, go get a hearing test. Because um, again, like I said, a lot of the causes for the, the gradual onset of hearing loss might be just wear and tear of the, of the cells in the ear, but there could also be something medical happening and that you want to make sure you get that checked out. And a hearing professional such as an audiologist or, um, would, would be able to do an evaluation, test the hearing, talk to you about it, give you some strategies and, and things that we could do. But then if it looks like there might be a medical cause for that, can then refer you to a physician to, to address that as well. So what are the treatments available for people who are experiencing hearing loss? Right now, so if there is a medical reason, for example, if there's something wrong with the bones in the ear or um, some with the, with the eardrum, something like that that can be treated medically, then, then that is the route that we would go. We could do surgery. We can, we can treat that medically. If it's really um, hearing loss that uh, is bothersome, again, you, you have trouble hearing in some daily listening situations. Uh, if it's sort of a mild to moderate, then we would recommend hearing aids, for example, or some sort of amplification um, to help uh, make sounds louder so that you can you can hear and understand them. Uh, those uh, hearing aids are, are custom fit. And so you can get those, you know, customized to what kind of hearing loss you have and the different pitches that you would need to be amplified. If it's really, if you, even with well-fit hearing aids, if you still have trouble hearing in uh, daily listening situations, even with well-fit hearing aids, then we do offer um, cochlear implants as an option. And so that is, uh, as you said, I, I direct the cochlear implant program. We do those at, routinely at MCW with Freighter and, and Children's Freighter Hospital in, in Children's Wisconsin. So that's if that's actually a, an electrode array that is implanted directly into the inner ear and replaces those those hair cells basically, um, and provides the stimulation to the hearing nerve through this through this electrode array. Pretty amazing technologies that we've we've got available to treat a wide range of, of hearing loss. Um, let me ask you one more question before we turn to the audience. Um, are there disparities in terms of who's getting screened and treated for hearing loss? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, we're actually right now uh, in the ENT department and my, my um, colleagues have a project that is actually looking at that right now. So our program is the otoclonomics program. And that's actually funded by the um, Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, um, the Advancing Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. And we are currently looking at these disparities. Um, and and I'll, I'll break it into the disparities actually sort of... Um, are a little different depending on couple populations. So I'll mention for, for children, for example, the big key issue with children is to identify hearing loss as soon as possible. So we have um, universal newborn hearing screens. So as soon as a baby is born, all the hospitals do a, a quick hearing screen. And if a baby, if it seems like there might be some hearing loss, again, it's a screen we don't really know, then we would refer for follow-up testing. Um, and then the family will need to go to a facility 
facility when the baby's a little bit older, you go to the facility and you have a full hearing hearing assessment. Um, and, and that's one place where their disparities can live. Um, and so it's getting, sometimes there's a lot of travel. So if you live in a rural area or there are other issues about transportation or getting to the site that has the special equipment for us to do that, that's where we can uh, have a disparity. And so we're looking at that now to see what those are and then how we can address those so that we can identify these children with hearing loss and, and address that early. The adults, what we tend to see is there's a difference in, there are disparities with, uh, uh, within racial, racial lines and ethnic lines, and then also um, with socioeconomic as far as hearing aid use. Um, and so oftentimes, and we find this a lot with hearing aid use anyway, is that they're very expensive. Um, and so right now there's, uh, there are some disparities there. So if people can't afford hearing aids and they're not covered um, by insurance um, then or, or by Medicare, then they might not be able to access amplification. And so the FDA, I'm, I'm glad you asked about this too. So we're really working to address these disparities. And um, the FDA right now is working on guidelines to allow for um, over-the-counter hearing aids and other amplification options for people that would be far less expensive and a little more direct to, to people so that it, to make amplification access, more accessible to more people. Well, that, that's really great. So um, let's go ahead and turn to some of the questions we've got from the audience. We've got a lot of great ones and we'll get to as many as we've got time for. Um, the first one is, does ear ringing indicate hearing loss? Um, so ear ringing uh, is the description of what it sounds like. Yes, we do call that tinnitus or tinnitus you might hear. Um, and it, it can. Um, and so a lot of times what we think is, is what causes some of the ringing in the ears is that there's a little, there is some damage to those cells perhaps. Um, and then it might be very, it might not, you might not notice the hearing loss so much, but you might notice the ringing first. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely something um, if you want to, to, to go have an evaluation on that as well. We do have a tinnitus um, program at Freighter Hospital. And so we have uh, audiologists do a, a whole lot of testing. They'll test your hearing. They do pitch matching um, and they counsel you about it too, about strategies to, to deal with the tinnitus. If you notice too, that if you have ringing, um, if it's really in one ear and not another, if it's so, if, if the ears are different, same with hearing loss, if you notice a difference between your ears, I definitely would recommend that you go get that checked out just to make sure that there's not going something going on to cause something in one ear that's um, that's a medical issue, but yeah. So a lot of times we do think that the ringing in the ears is just indicative of some, some level of damage to the inner ear. Um, great. Next question is, is there a connection between hearing loss and Alzheimer's? <laughs> that's a fantastic question. I think what we are looking at that's under investigation right now, there are big, uh, multi-center trials all over the U S and uh, I don't think we've answered that particular question right now. And when we talk about Alzheimer's, when we talk about um, dementia and cognitive uh, disabilities or cognitive issues, then uh, and Alzheimer's, they're kind of a lot of them are very different disease processes as well. So some might be vascular, some might be from lack of stimulation from, from sound, for example. Um, I don't, I'm not aware of a connection specifically with Alzheimer's. I think they're major drivers of Alzheimer's that are not necessarily related. But I think what we're finding is there is a, seems to be a connection between hearing loss and, and having cognitive um, issues or some sort of dementia. Um, and it's hard to say exactly what's causing that right now. Maybe it's lack of stimulation or lack of awareness of surroundings can, can exacerbate 
um, so it's a disconnect from your world. And we know that when you, uh, you can keep your cognitive uh, abilities up by engaging with the world, by, you know, doing brain teasers, things like that. And so I think this lack of stimulation in this way can help exacerbate that. Um, but that's a great question. We're looking at that now. Mm-hmm. Great. The next question um, is, is there a connection between cancer treatments and hearing loss? There can be, depending on the chemotherapy medication that's being used. Um, So cisplatin is one of those that it's used to treat a range of of cancers, for example, head and neck cancer, and and then some other ones. Um, And so there there are a couple things so that it is possible that um, cisplatin uh, use can actually um, cause some hearing loss. Now, um, we always weigh those options. So we work with the HEMOC docs and, and they're really fantastic. And, and actually what's great about, um, about Freighter and uh, Hospital and Children's Wisconsin is we're um, very aligned in wanting to monitor hearing while people are having treatment from chemotherapy treatment or sometimes radiation treatment. If, if the ear is in the line of radiation, it can cause some hearing loss there too. Um, but we, it's part of our clinical protocol and we all feel very strongly that we want to make sure we're monitoring the hearing loss. We measure hearing before treatment and then at per- intervals during it. And if it seems that we, if we're able to change the treatment, cause it looks like there's some hearing loss, then we want to make sure to do that. Um, it's always that weighing though, of the, the treatment that can save your life versus what, you know, what kind of things might be happening for hearing what we do. This does bring up a really important point for, for people who are getting chemotherapy or, um, or susceptible in any way for getting, uh, having hearing loss is we also, we recommend hearing protection. So we want you to wear earplugs. So while you're getting treatment, um, it, it can be exacerbated by ex- noise exposure. For example, even mowing the lawn or vacuuming the house or some of those uh, daily tasks, we want to make sure that people are really working to protect their hearing so we don't have that combination of medication and noise exposure causing even more hearing loss. Thanks. The next question I've got is, have you heard of sudden hearing loss where there's not a gradual decline, um, but it's just all of a sudden gone? Yep. Yes. So if you experience sudden hearing loss, um, it, it can be different forms. I've actually seen some people come in like, oh my gosh, I have hearing loss in one ear. I can't hear anything. And they come in um, and it turns out it's wax. <laughs> and so it might get cleared out and then you're good to go. I mean, that, that has happened. However, I, I wouldn't assume that. So yeah, if you notice hearing loss that like very sudden hearing loss in one ear is more typical, it could be both, but usually it's one. But if you notice that, then get seen right away, come in, see an ENT um, and see a specialist right away. Um, what they tend to do is, um, then they might treat with um, oral steroids or an injection of steroids or something. There, there are medical ways to address it early on to try to then see if we can get that hearing to recover. But yes, sensory, uh, so we call it sudden sensory neural hearing loss. Um, come in, we'll get your hearing tested, and then we'll, we'll intervene as soon as possible. That's great. I still remember my great grandmother could only hear one family member on the phone with a really deep, booming voice uh, until she got her earwax removed. So certainly... Uh, I think that's good advice. Um, related question to some things we talked about earlier. Um, does anesthesia cause or contribute to tinnitus? Uh, anesthesia. I actually don't know the answer to that offhand. Um, and if it's, if it would be the actual anesthesia itself, if it would be a positioning of the head or something, you know, something that's happening while the person is under anesthesia. So I, I don't actually have a specific answer to that off the top of my head. I'm not a I'm very familiar with that happening frequently, but Jess, I don't know. Do you know the answer to, to you? Well, 
It turns out I'm an anesthesiologist. Um, yeah. <laughs> are medications, uh, you know, used during surgery, antibiotics, other kinds of things that can cause um, some changes uh, to hearing and potential tinnitus, um, but it's not a common, common thing. Um, the next question we've got is, does, does using a hearing aid as soon as hearing loss is noticed delay the progression of further hearing loss? That's a wonderful question. Um, and I would, I would say, no, it, it doesn't necessarily delay the progression of hearing loss, but what it would do is um, allow you to maintain your, your brain function for those higher, for example, it's usually that we start losing those higher pitch sounds first. So that's where people notice like, oh, I can hear people, but I can't understand them because we tend to, we can still hear the vowel sounds, but we're not necessarily catching up on all those, the S and the TH and some of those other high, high pitched consonant, soft consonant sounds. So if you, if you start wearing amplification early on, then you continue hearing those sounds and able to process them in things. If you let the hearing go for a long time and you haven't heard those high pitched sounds for a really long time, and then you put hearing aids on, first of all, it can sound terrible. <laughs> so the, the high pitched sounds sound very annoying if you haven't heard them for a long time. So what it will do is if your hearing loss does progress, you can always like have your hearing aids sort of bumped up so you can you can uh, get those higher pitch sounds as you need them. So it won't delay the progression, but it'll keep you engaged with those sounds and able to use them and communicating um, really well and not falling into some of those other issues about not hearing them for a while and, and, uh, and not being able to communicate. Makes, makes a lot of sense. I've got one more tinnitus question and then a couple about cochlear implants. Um, so uh, somebody wants to know, you know, what is the thing that you can do to address the case of tinnitus? I imagine it has to do with what's causing it, but maybe some of the common options that you have for folks that come into the clinic. Yeah. So um, in general, you know, sometimes what we would do is talk about, you know, stress. It can be, it can be stress related as well. Um, I mean, we do think that there's probably some damage in the ear, but at the same time, sometimes stress can exacerbate it, even clenching your teeth. Um, there, there are other things that, that can also cause it. So we talk about um, stress relief and um, or managing it, not focusing on the tinnitus, kind of learning to live with it, keeping it in the background. Um, other options though. So besides those are, um, there are some apps out there that we can, that we recommend and like, like a sound therapy. And um, so there are, um, there's uh, options for that. Um, so you can listen to sort of like modulated music. Um, and sometimes that'll help kind of retrain the brain to pay attention to those sounds. Um, and then um, you can do notch noise and things. So for example, you listen to some sounds that are around where your tinnitus is to bring awareness of your brain to those other sounds. Um, sometimes too, we might recommend um, tinnitus maskers. Um, and that's just basically like maybe a hearing aid type thing or a, a device worn in the ear that has some very low level, maybe staticky sounds or something. It can just kind of drown it out a little bit, but it doesn't interfere with, with your hearing. And, and um, also hearing aid use too, if you have hearing loss as well, sometimes amplifying the actual sounds then can help minimize the tinnitus as well. So um, there's also um, some new research and devices going on with uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So we're, we're looking at those, that's kind of catching on for a lot of different health issues. And so that's something too, that's under investigation is possibly helping with tinnitus. Um, well, great. Sounds like there are a lot of good options depending on what the, the problem is. And it starts with getting uh, somebody into uh, getting screened. Um, next couple questions are about cochlear implants and other technologies. So somebody wants to know, um, is there specific training or learning that's necessary for somebody who uh, receives a cochlear implant? 
That's a that's a wonderful question. And so if we again, we, if we talk about adults who have already uh, who have had gradual onset of hearing loss, a lot of times the amount of training necessary um, to be able to hear and understand really you can hear with a cochlear implant really well once you have it. It's just understanding speech because it's a totally different way of hearing. So right now we go from acoustic hearing like is how we're doing it now. And this is electric hearing. So it just sounds a little bit different. Um, and you have to get you, you do have to get used to it. A lot of times it will depend though on how long someone has had hearing loss and how severe that hearing loss has been. So if there's been if this if someone has had very little like pretty profound hearing loss for a long time, it might take them longer to sort of get used to it and understand speech again. Um, however, if people have been using if someone's been using hearing aids for a long time and they're used to listening to a sound that's not that's not optimal, um, then it might not take quite as long for them to get caught up with that. But we do recommend with our with our patients who receive cochlear implants, we we do offer some oral rehabilitation either through through our clinic um, in the ENT or um, with uh, here Wisconsin is our community partner as well. And they have wonderful therapists too to help do oral rehab and practice things. And, and the cochlear implant companies also have software and um, um, there's a lot of different ways on the internet to do some hearing training and things like that and kind of test your, your ability to hear some sounds and get used to it. So a lot of different ways for people to be able to get used to hearing with their implants. Perfect. The next question is what's the difference between advanced bionics and uh, cochlear implants? And I'm hoping you know what that means because I don't. <laughs> so cochlear implant is sort of the, um, that's the category of these devices that we implant in the ear. Again, electro gets implanted in. Um, you have an outside, you have an external processor that either is on the ear or it can be magnetically attached to the side of the head above the internal device. Um, and advanced bionics is a certain brand of cochlear implant. And advanced bionics is actually uh, in is, so we have advanced bionics, Medel and cochlear, which are three that are available uh, cochlear implants in the US. And at our center at, at the Medical College Wisconsin and uh, Children's Wisconsin and Freighter Health, Freighter Hospital, we, we implant all three devices. We offer all three. Um, advanced bionics is the US company um, that develops the, the hearing aid. They're out of um, the cochlear implant. They're out of California. Uh, Medel is out of Austria, Innsbruck, Austria, and um, uh, Cochlear is out of uh, Australia. So it's it's a very international initiative. Um, but yeah, so we we offer all three devices, but Advanced Bionics is one type, one brand. Got it. Thanks for uh, helping me understand what that was about. <laughs> um, the next question I've got is: Are there certain hearing aids that are best for moderate hearing loss? Um, yeah. I think um, there, so hearing aids do come in uh, different flavors, if you will. So it depends if you have a moderate hearing loss and there's a little, it's if it's pretty flat or a little high frequency, moderate hearing loss, then yes, there, then there's, there's a range of types of hearing aids that, that could work. Um, so there's some that hang behind the ear that would be fine with an open, open dome, open mold. There are others that if you have really pretty much moderate hearing loss, um, then you can have the kind of the, the ones that fit in the ear canal. And so they don't have to hang behind, but they can go in the ear canal and they can kind of go a little ways in. So you don't even really see them. Um, and so that it kind of opens up a little bit of a range of the types of, of hearing aids that are possible. Really the circuitry and stuff is, is we can kind of make it whatever it needs to be, but there are some when there's pretty severe to profound hearing loss that it really does require um, a hearing aid that sits behind the ear. And they're very small these days, but sits behind the ear has more power, it has more power to it. Um, 
and of course uses the, and has to have batteries and things that, you know, it uses the batteries a little more quickly and stuff too. So, so yeah, for moderate, you just have a few more like options as to how the wearability is. Got it. And then does sound therapy help those with lifelong hearing loss or just recent loss? Um, the sound therapy for tinnitus that I was talking about, um, honestly, I think it's, it's worth a try, even if you've had long-term uh, tinnitus or hearing loss or things like that. Um, uh, so, so I think I was referring to the sound therapy for, for tinnitus um, intervention. So obviously you would need to be able to hear the sound for, for the sound therapy to be able to work as well. So, um, but yeah, and I, I, again, I think it can work for people who have had long-term tinnitus. It can work for people who have had it more recently, but again, regardless of, of that, if you, if you have especially new onset tinnitus and it's noticeable, then I would definitely get that, get, be seen and see what would be appropriate treatment for that. Uh, next question is, um, if somebody's having difficulty hearing what is said, um, like they, they can't, they can hear sound, but they're uh, maybe um, mixing up words, uh, similar sounding words, is that considered hearing loss? Yeah, I would say yes. Um, now, um, unless there's some other underlying cognitive cause of that, um, uh, about not understanding, but for what we're talking about today, certainly if you, if you've noticed a gradual, like I can hear people, but I can't understand. And then yes. And especially like well, I'm having a lot of trouble in background noise. I think then that that does indicate that there's probably some, some level of hearing loss there and that you might want to um, you might want to get that checked. And even if there's not um, something that we necessarily do to it, for intervention right now, it's always good if you notice that to get seen and then you can follow up later if you notice it gets worse or you notice even, even more significant changes. And, and also we do do a lot of counseling too. If you do notice those sorts of things, it's not just, you know, oh, hearing aid or nothing or something. It's also here, here are strategies. So you sit in a room, you might sit in the front row. You want to sit where there's good lighting. Make sure that your, um, your friends, your significant others know to face you when they're talking to you and not talk with their mouth full or, you know, do this kind of thing or yell from the other room. You, know, you might have to come into the room to talk to somebody. So there, there are other strategies that, that we also like to make people aware of too. Great. I've got uh, one more question that I think we'll probably have to end because we're almost out of time. Have you ever seen somebody in their nineties get an implant? What's the surgery like? How long does it take? What's recovery? That kind of stuff. Yeah, we have. And I uh, can't remember the exact age of our oldest uh, uh, recipient of a cochlear implant, but he was well in, he was well into his nineties. And uh, you know, honestly, if you're, uh, if you're healthy and if the, sur if, if you're healthy enough for the surgery, then yeah, we would recommend it. And if you want to do that, absolutely. And uh, so it's just, it's a surgery. Uh, it's a very small incision behind the ear, uh, a little bit of drilling in the bone just to um, open that area up so that we can get the implant in there. Um, and then a healing time of about a month, and then we can, we can hook you up and then you can start hearing. So um, yeah, we've, we do it in, in far older. So again, if you're healthy enough to get the surgery, then you're, and then you're, and you're audiologically a candidate, then absolutely. Fantastic. Well, and with that, I want to thank you, Chris, uh, for joining us today. This was just a fantastic conversation. Uh, for our audience, if, if we didn't get your question, feel free to drop an email to conversations at mcw.edu. Uh, we'll try to take care of them. I hope you'll all join us next month for a virtual conversation and a coffee break and more about science. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. 
Coffee conversations with scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.